Welcome to another edition of the Awaken 2008 podcast. This is Daniel Decker. In today's interview, we're going to be joined with Bill Dallas, who's the president of CCN, the Church Communication Network, and Nancy Ortberg. Nancy is a former teaching pastor at Willow Creek and is now an organizational consultant with Teamworks 2. Nancy does a lot of work with Patrick Lencioni uh, on team dynamics and leadership. She's also going to speak into this interview about how we can leverage vision and develop more trust within our organizations and teams. You'll gain a lot of insight from it. And just learning about Nancy's new book, which I think is a phenomenal title, it's called Looking for God, An Unexpected Journey Through Tattoos, Tofu, and Pronouns. So check it out, and be sure to jump on Awaken2008.com, where you can take advantage of the Early Bird Conference specials. Again, that's Awaken2008.com, and we look forward to seeing you in Pasadena, California at Mosaic, April 1st through the 3rd. Nancy, thanks so much for joining me today. You're welcome, Bill. Thanks for having me. Some of our listeners out there are, are very familiar with you and your ministry, but they might be interested to know what you're up to these days. What are you working on? Just if you could share some of the things that you're doing out on the road and traveling around the country speaking to different groups. Sure. John and I moved um, from Chicago back to California, thank you, God, uh, four and a half years ago. And John's on staff at Menlo Park Presbyterian Church as a senior pastor. And I had just a period of time back there to sort of reinvent myself and figure out what was next for me. And one of my top passions has always been leadership development. So um, in association with Patrick Lencioni, um, my consulting firm is a consulting partner of his group, and we work with uh, businesses, schools, churches, and nonprofits around issues of um, leadership, team dynamics, and how to make those teams really high-functioning, cohesive units. So I do a lot of that. I also just uh, finished a couple of books. The first one is coming out in a couple of weeks called Looking for God, and the subtitle is An Unexpected Journey Through Tattoos, Tofu, and Pronouns. And it really is sort of just a contrarian view of spiritual formation and how do you build a rich relationship with God. And then I have another one coming out this summer about leadership. Um, so that, those three things have been keeping me very, very busy. So um, what was it like writing the, writing the books? I mean, how, how much effort and time and struggle was yeah. it? I'm kind of a late bloomer. You know, at 52, I put my first book out there. Um, I'll go to speak at all these conferences. I'm the only one there without a book. But I, I watched my husband write for so many years, and I just thought, man, if that's what you have to do to write a book, count me out. And I've just realized with some really good editors working with me that it doesn't have to Everybody writes different styles, and um, it's, it's a pretty introverted process, which I am not. So in that way, it's kind of hard. You also don't get great immediate feedback, so sometimes it's hard to figure out if you're going in the right direction. But um, I enjoyed it enough to do, too. I think I'm going to take a little break now and put my time in somewhere else for a bit. But I'm glad that I did it. Now, you know, as you travel around the country and you work with ministry leaders and secular leaders, um, is there a common topic or issue that you see developing of the people that you work with? Oh, absolutely. It's really interesting that so many organizations, while they're all very different in nature, share a lot of the same underlying issues. Um, we, get, we typically get called in in three situations. If an organization is in a crisis, and then they're very aware of what their needs are. If they're going through a transition, which a lot of organizations find themselves in that situation every five years or so. And then we also in, encounter just really good teams that want to get better. And one of the things that 
uh, we find threads through all three of those situations is they have a lot of work to do on what does it mean to trust each other as a team um, without trust being this touchy-feely, blindfold, me fall into your arm kind of exercise, but really um, the kind of trust that puts teeth into a team and makes them high-performing. And then how do they engage in healthy conflict in a way where they're making great decisions, and then how do they hold each other accountable for those decisions once they've been made? That little packet of team issues repeats itself in various forms in almost every team that we work with. And then I would say the one other thing is um, most organizations do not fully understand or leverage well the idea of vision in their organizations. So those would be a couple of the things that we find repeating often. Now, you mentioned trust in teams, and, and I know this this is a, you know, a, a topic that you could spend a lot of time on, but can you tell us just one or two thing, reasons why we don't trust the people we work with or we don't, uh, it's not easy for us to, to give in to the trust relationship with, our, with our, our team? I think the easiest first step answer to that is because we don't spend any time on it. We assume it, and trust is pretty fragile, can be broken at any moment. It takes a while to repair it. And most teams don't take it seriously enough to realize that it takes work. Like almost every time your team meets together, there ought to be something going on where you as a leader are intentionally doing things to build trust. Most leaders just assume it's there and then until it rears its ugly head and shows itself as causing a problem, which by then it's so late and there's so much unpacking to do, a lot of the damage has already been done. You know, you'll be speaking at a conference that um, we'll all be a part of in April called Awaken, and Er McManus is the uh, founder and leader of this whole conference, and he has hand-selected some of the most influential thought leaders to be part of this, and he had invited you to speak, and you'll be there. Um, one of the things that is important for him is, as he says, he, he wants people to, to stop and to think outside the box. In fact, he says he wants to race the lines and, in essence, mm -hmm. create a new box. Yeah. A question for you. Uh, can you tell us, um, you're going to be there, and you're going to be speaking in the experience uh, area. We have people speaking for experience. We have people speaking that are experimental and experts. And the people in the experience um, category, which you are, are going to be talking about some of their bumps and bruises, their scars that they've gone through. Can you tell us something that you failed at and how that failure has led to learning? Yeah. Lots of examples come to mind. Um, you know, if, if as a leader you don't have a fresh example of a failure, you probably aren't leading well. I have hired the wrong people and had to go through months of painstaking conversations to either bring clarity to that, move them off the team. I have given messages and talks that were horrible. Um, I have made strategic decisions that were not correct and took us down a wrong road for a long period of time. And I think for leaders especially to embrace failure instead of to become defensive or rationalize, I think one of the best things you can do when you fail um, is to be curious. And there's kind of an inverse relationship between curiosity and fear in the life of a leader. And if I let my failures build fear in me, I will defend my decision. I will repeat it. If instead I can be curious about what led me here, how can I understand this so I don't make the same mistakes again, 
Um, it's that curiosity of asking questions and inviting your team to do that with you, which takes vulnerability, which, by the way, builds trust. And if I can be vulnerable as a leader and say to my team, I screwed up, I made a big mistake. Um, a, a real specific example comes from the time when I was leading Axis. Um, after about a year into my leadership, one of my direct reports came into my office and shut the door and said, I need to talk to you about something. And I'm not the only one that feels this way, which is a very exciting way to start a meeting out. And he went on to say, your meetings suck. They're just horrible. And honestly, everything inside of me wanted to say to this guy, who do you think you are? At the time, I was in my mid-40s. He was in his mid-20s. I wanted to blame it on his youth and inexperience. But there was that little voice inside me, which was probably the Holy Spirit saying, what part of what he just said to you is not true. And so rather than defend myself, which is what I wanted to do, or explain you don't understand all the other things I have to pay attention to, I asked him to tell me more. And he said, when you first got here, your meetings were great. Everybody in the organization was talking about them. They were imaginative and creative, and they inspired us. And he just said, I don't know what you've been paying attention to lately, but the gap between where they used to be and where they are now is horrible. And he was right. I had gotten that plate up in the air spinning well and then thought, okay, I don't have to pay attention to that anymore. And I turned my attention to other things. And if a leader isn't leading meetings so well that your people would rather go to your meeting than a movie given a choice, you're not doing your job right. And meetings are one of the most important places for leaders. That's where the work of leadership gets done in a large sense. And um, I had a lot of work to do, and I had to be humble enough to admit to him he was right and then go back to my team and say, i got to tell you about a conversation Steve and I had last week. Let me applaud his courage for coming into my office and saying this to me, and let me tell you he's exactly right, and I owe you an apology, and I would like to talk with you about what worked in our meetings a year ago and what we're not doing now and what we need to do differently to move into the future. And it, it ended up starting off painfully, but being a great launching pad for us to get back to where our meetings were really innovative, energetic places where people wanted to be. Well, it almost sounds that, that if a leader really wants to grow and mature, there's got to be a vulnerability, and we can't be seen and we can't perceive ourselves as supermen. Is that correct? Oh, well, absolutely. One of my partners in our consulting business always says, the higher up you go in an organization, the less truth you hear. And that's just true. And as a leader, if you are not inviting people to speak truth to you and if you are not making your team a place where truth can be spoken, you are going to go down these wrong roads all the time. Now, you'll be speaking at Awaken, which is uh, the first part of April, and we've got a lot of other uh, great leader and speakers from different parts of, of the country, different fields coming together. Um, what would you hope, what will you be sharing with us or hope that that people leave with, walk away with, from both your time sharing with us as well as what other leaders will be sharing there? Yeah. I think in general, in the big picture, what I'm so excited about for the Awaken Conference is I think it breathes fresh winds into us as leaders and into our churches, into our organizations. And any individual person as a leader and any organization collectively needs times during the year where an experience, a place, a book, a talk, a gathering together of people um, drops our walls down and allows the Holy Spirit to blow through us and envision us and reignite us 
and give us new and fresh ideas for what the church needs to be in this day and age. And I think Awaken is just one of those rare opportunities that's poised to do that uh, in a way that other experiences aren't. Now, you'll, um, now again, not only be teaching, but there'll be a chance for uh, attendees to interact with you a little bit on a more on a personal uh, basis. But before they get there, we'd like to ask you a couple of personal questions. Um, sure. what, are the, what is the book that you're currently reading? Well, I'm reading, I'm always reading seven or eight and a third of the way through all of them. Right. Um, but a couple of books that have really impacted me in pretty significant ways in very different arenas is, right now I just finished um, What Got You Here Won't Get You There. It's just a secular leadership book, but it's really designed to say whatever you've done in the past that has gotten you successful to where you are right now, if you don't think differently, you're not going to be able to take your organization to the next level. Um, and that's just been really an excellent book, and I've also recommended it to a number of my clients that find themselves in that same situation. Um, another book, and here's where I would say I rarely read a book that I agree with everything in it, so just as a brief caveat, but the writing was breathtaking, and the mindset of a seeker was so impressive in this book, and it's called Eat, Pray, Love. Um, it's been on the bestseller list for a long time now, but I was quite compelled by the writing and quite taken by uh, someone who is trying to find God. What does that look and feel like? Because it's been such a long time in my life where I've been in that position, it's easy for me to forget and be able to connect what kind of ministry we do with this is the way people are thinking right now. What's the last movie you saw? The last movie I saw was Juno. Was it good? It was. I was hoping it was going to be fantastically great because it got such buildup. And about two-thirds of the way through the movie, when she kind of dropped the witty banter that no normal 16-year-old would actually talk like, her character became more real. And there were some amazing parts of that movie that were pretty compelling. Yeah. yeah. Now, if we were driving in your car right now, what would what CD would be in there, and what song would you be playing? Ooh, I wouldn't be playing a song. I'm not a music girl, which, okay. you know, most people scratch their head at. My car would be full of um, speaker talks from, uh, right now I'm listening to both the Orange and the Catalyst conferences. I like listening to talks. Every once in a while I listen to music. There's a, a woman uh, worship leader in Honolulu called Eunice Sims that I think is fantastic. Um, but mostly I'm listening to people talking or books on tape. Uh, Starbucks or Pete's? Uh, it doesn't matter because I'm a tea drinker, so either one. <laughs> and if yeah. you're... Don't, don't dig the coffee thing. Don't get it. I think it tastes terrible. And if you're drinking tea, what type are you drinking? Uh, a good, strong Irish or English breakfast. Something real, not herbal or flowers drugged through hot water. Well, we're going to look forward to seeing you to wake in, in just a, a few weeks here. Um, question, um, or actually, if you'd let us know one more time, tell us again your new book coming out, when it comes out, and where people can find it. Sure. Um, the first one that comes out the first week in March, and it's called Looking for God, and you can get that on Amazon. And then I have a book on leadership that will be out in August called Unleashing the Power of Rubber Bands and Other Lessons in Nonlinear Leadership. And they can find this by going to Amazon. Yeah, that one won't be available until August, but the um, Looking for God one is on the website right now on Amazon and I think becomes available March 1st. Great. 
Well, Nancy, again, thanks so much for being with us today, and we're going to look Thank forward you, to seeing you in April at Awaken in Pasadena, California. Thanks so much. Thank you, Bill.